Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just stone cold set up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. If you had the cover and you had the over then you're a pretty happy person about Texas getting a 48-13 win over Rice on Saturday at NRG Stadium. But on to bigger and better things for the Longhorns, the Big 12 opener Saturday night, Royal Memorial Stadium, ABC 630, and we will break it down here on this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, we're seeing some new trends with Tom Herman. We've got two double-digit spreads where they've covered. They've hit the over. Yep. Times are changing. Yeah, the <laughs> offense. Offense is coming around. That's big. And then, yeah, that was sort of just luck at the end of this past one. But, yeah, it's pretty cool to see how good Vegas is that you have these pointless scores at the end of games, flipping spreads multiple times. It happens a lot. That was a that was a bad beat for some people with Deshaun Jameson running that kickoff back. And that was the thing. It was a good beat. Everybody's like, oh no. Yeah. And then oh yeah, it just all depends what like side. Like I said, you're if on. you had the cover any over, that would that kickoff return, you were celebrating as very very rarely Rod has in a thirty point game a kickoff return for a touchdown <laughs> in the last minute been celebrated. Probably yeah, like that one. I know a lot of people that were that were celebrating. They were happy about that. And good teams, what is it? Good teams win, great teams cover. And that's yeah, uh, that's kind of where we're at with the Rice game as we keep talking about the cover and the over because that's how we kind of kept that one interesting. Uh, <laughs> Lifetime true. Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Board. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and he over the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas in 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, I promise he will wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, you get the black card. Number Ooh. 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. And, Thanks for uh, the intro, brother, as always. Yeah, well, guys, we're not going to spend too much time on Rice because yeah, I'm going to jump into Oklahoma State. But, Rod, we talked about Texas getting the cover, Texas getting the over. Let's start with the defense. They did exactly what I wanted them to do, what I said the goal should be, which was just be great on third down, be really good getting off the field. Don't let Rice extend drives. That's the only way that game was going to get even remotely interesting. And that defense gave Rice no hope from the start. Rice 0 for 6 on third down in the first half. And by that point, you're up 31 nothing going in the locker room. So as far as I'm concerned, mission accomplished. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you put the uh, the subs in and uh, some things changed. I wish Kobe Boyce would have called that pick six. Uh, if this is, you know, obviously this is not a game that would have tested the secondary at all. I mean, they came out literally in 21, 22, and 23 personnel at times. I mean, they were as old school and, and as antiquated as you could get with their offensive philosophy. Hell, even t- forced Tart Orlando to put four down linemen uh, in there at one point, which is something Tart Orlando that hadn't done since before his Utah State days. But I wish he would, because I think, I don't think it helped the confidence of the secondary, but it didn't hurt their confidence because right. they really weren't tested. And I wish, I think the D-line came out more confident from this game, and maybe the defensive front did too, because guys like Juwan Mitchell, 
got a chance to play and played well. You know what I mean? And made some plays. Yep. So I think the front may have come out a little bit more confident because they were tested against Rice a little bit. But the secondary, I don't know if they gained any confidence or swagger from this game. Didn't lose any either. Didn't, I don't think it hurt their confidence. But getting a pick six, I don't know. I think it helped Kobe Boyce's confidence going into the Oklahoma State game. Where, he, where you're going to need him to be confident. Where you're going to need him to be confident and feeling good about himself and, and his the best version of himself. So, uh, But for the defense, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Taquan, Malcolm Roach and uh, Taquan Graham and Ke- Kendrick Coburn. Uh, listen, if Kendrick Coburn can just can stay on this pace that he's on like, – and I've said before, he's not Puna Ford just yet. He's a Puna Ford starter kid, but he is he is starting to be disruptive. It was Rice, but you can see him at times be disruptive. He ain't Puna yet where every damn play, you know what I mean, he's demanding a double team, but you can see him resetting the line of scrimmage. And I wonder, man, whenever that light goes off and it flip, it flip, that, that switch flips for him, this Todd Orlando defense, the reverberation of it is going to be felt all throughout this defense. Yeah. Right now, it's just not there yet. That was a perfect game where you get to see that one type of play from Coburn, though, whenever he's taking on a double team. And you just see, like, yeah. this year, it doesn't even matter that it's Rice. It's just like, oh, wow, that's the type of thing that mm-hmm. you want to see. And you don't, you rarely get to see when you've been at Texas the past decade. Like yeah. you said, Puna made plays like that. I remember you, we saw flashes oh. of Hassan Ridgeway as a youngster, but then it never turned into fruition. You don't want them to be flashes, you want them to be consistent. Sons- Exactly. Every play. Exactly. Like when Ocam came in and it just was like, okay, you have a grown man on the offensive line yeah. as a young player. Yeah. Yeah, Rod, Rod Wright, the guy you played with, Rod, mm-hmm. was the same way as a true freshman. Rod Wright was like, you like could, that. You could see, okay, yeah, this guy's special. Yeah, so I think my, I think my midseason, hopefully, is by OU. Hopefully, it's Oklahoma State. You'll see Kendrick Coburn. You'll say you'll recognize him becoming a grown man. I think if, you stay, if you're paying attention to it, you can see it now. But I would like him to jump off the screen. I don't know if that happens just yet. Pony used to jump off the screen because you'd be like, what the hell? That doesn't look right. How did he penetrate? Who is that guy in the backfield? When why is he, he just doesn't look like a and he's he so look, quick. Yeah, so I, I or think, like, why is Malik Jefferson running free? Oh, three guys are trying to block Puna Ford, <laughs> yeah. and B-Gap was wide open. Um, so, yeah, I think Andre Coburn's going to get there. And obviously the coaches have a lot of faith. He's doing that in practice. I just want him to do it in the games every time. But I think he's getting there, too. So I liked what I saw on the defensive line. I understand it's Rice. But. We wanted them to be more disruptive. That's what, and the coaches were like, they're being disruptive. We are like, well, I don't necessarily think they're being disruptive enough. Joe Burrow didn't look disrupted to me. He looked really smooth, and he looked like he was you know, in stride. He didn't ever look like you uh, disoriented him. I think now you can get to the defense line where they can just – we don't need you to get sacks, uh, even tackles for loss and, and hurries all the time. We just need you to reset the line of scrimmage and be in the backfield, force that quarterback off of his – you know, uh, off of whatever his yeah. landmark is. You know, make him move around, make him uncomfortable. That's all you want. And if they can do that versus Spencer Sanders – that's half the battle right there. And you know that's I mean? the thing with a guy like Coburn, you know, just the way that stats work, not always does a defensive lineman get any credit for what Agreed. his impact is. And that's the type of thing that people may look down and be like, well, what's going on if he is improving? And it's sort of hard to be able to be the judge of those things if because every case is different. Different four-man lines, three-man lines are different. Their jobs ways. are different. You exactly. don't know what their responsibility are, is based on the exactly. coverage. Exactly. So that's why defense. it's easy that you can get sort of just – lost there and not sure with what's going on if you don't know yeah. what you're looking for. Totally agree. Yeah, I, you know, to your point, Rod, about what Tom Herman said coming out of the LSU game, I think you've got tangible evidence now of how hard the defensive line plays. Not that you didn't before because the numbers weren't there. And like Matt said, especially in a three-man front, sometimes the numbers won't be there. But Great. I just need to see Taquan Graham flash. <clears throat> I need to see Malcolm Roach flash. Yeah. I need to see Colbert flash. And Roach, I think, has done a really good job actually through the first three games. He of has. Just doing that, just kind of that dirty work. No, I agree. Uh, that 4 I ain't supposed to do. But, <clears throat> excuse me, real quick on Coburn, 
Malcolm, I talked to Malcolm Roach about Coburn in the post game. You know, kind of what he saw from Coburn leading up to the Rice game. Because typically, when a guy has a game like that, you, you saw it in the, on the practice field. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm Roach said coming out of LSU, like Keandre Coburn, like that almost woke him up. Like he came in the next day after the game, after the LSU game, and made it a point to tell everybody, yeah, I'm going to study film harder. I'm going to take practice more serious. I'm going to be in my craft. And Malcolm Roach said what you guys saw tonight was basically what we saw in practice all week. You know, it's interesting, and I wonder the mindset of him because he didn't – obviously, he didn't have a bad game versus LSU. Uh, our If I did have it in criticism, it was that on those passing downs, I would like the D-line to be more disruptive. But how can you do that when the guy's getting the ball out of his hands in 2.4 seconds? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be really tough to do. Um, so I, I think that game – I think Keandre Coburn, in my opinion, I think he understood, oh, man, I can, I can actually beat these guys – up front, like I can, I can yeah. beat LSU, and he, and actually got to the point where he maybe he decided I wasn't prepared enough. I and you know what I mean, like I should have been. If I'd have been more prepared, I could have dominated LSU. Yeah, like I would just beat. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I'd have been more, I, I felt like that coming out of game sometimes. Like, damn right, B. If you'd have been more prepared, you you went up against a really good wide receiver, and you didn't have a great week of practice. You know what I mean? You had a Tuesday where you were, you wasted, a, you wasted a day of practice. You know what I mean? And oh, watching as much film as you were supposed to. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I remember coming out of games like, and I still had a damn good game. It, damn, what if I I'd have been, been prepped? I'd have been amazing out there. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have jumped off the screen. I, I wonder if Kendra Coburn had one of those moments. Like I went up against LSU, and actually I could have watched more film. I could have worked harder in practice. I could have been more prepared. Damn, I'm about, I'm about to wreck shop. And Almost I, and, gives and you confidence. Oh no, I hope that's the, yeah. Joseph Masai recently had one of those moments. He said he after LSU, he's like, man, you know what? I had some lazy steps, lazy downs. I got to play better. I'm, you know, and I think that's just a man in a mirror moment. Every great player hopefully goes through that moment where Self-aware. you are your biggest critic. Yeah, exactly. Right. You mentioned the D line rod. I think on defense, that was the group coming out of the Rice game that I think gained the most confidence. Agreed. Offensively, and we'll get to Sam Ellinger here in a minute. But when we talk, talk about the injury of Joseph Asai, too, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Yeah, and how that all plays into <sighs> yeah. uh, what I think the 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 most underrated thing about Mike Gundy is. But when you look at the offense, I think the offensive line, the confidence they continue to play with. I'm surprised at how quickly that group has come together because I think coming into the year, we all were on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I think the fan base at large was in terms of, you know, this group, if you just look at these five guys compared to the five guys in the spots they were last year, this group is more talented. No doubt. But we all know there's a lot more that goes into being a good offensive line than just talent across the board. And I think they gained confidence. I, I was surprised at how clean they played at times against Louisiana Tech for an opener. Uh, you know, Tom Herman said they don't give out MVPs and losses, but if they did, the the offensive line would have been the team MVP for the LSU game. I agree with that. And Rod, it just looked really clean against Rice. And, and, and Tom Herman said this, and, and you can say it's coach speak or whatever, but, you know, you can tell there were some negative plays at times during that game because it was – Rice was going high risk, high reward. I mean, they're going to stunt and you know try to mix yeah. things up. They got nothing. They got they got nothing to lose. Exactly. Yeah. So, which is the exact opposite of how they run their offense. But that's another <laughs> story yeah. for another day. But very bizarre. You know, they just stayed patient, stayed with it, and at the end of the day, it's another 500 yard effort for this offense. But even with the injury to Zach Shackelford. They moved Derek Kerstetter to center, get Denzel Okafor in there, and that yeah. group in the second half, you have a 91-yard drive coming yeah. off your goal line. So I just love where this offensive line is right well, now. You I, I don't Herb know if Han. I can say enough good things about it. That's why you got to give Herb Han a lot of credit. Yeah. Like, we've had Zach Schalk get hurt 
two years in a row. Usually your center gets hurt. I mean, you're, it decimates that offensive mm-hmm. line. Other than the anchor, your left tackle, you can't think of a worse position where you can lose your top guy. Usually there's a precipitous drop-off for any team, right? Yeah, think about yeah for Charlie Strong, right? Um, but with Herb Hand's cross-training philosophy, and he tries to have as many guys cross-trained as possible, I think four of the five projected starters uh, for the preseason for the offensive line, they played multiple positions. And we all been saying on this show, Kerstetter is the MVP of that line, not because he was the best player, that's Cosme, and not because he was necessarily the leader, that's Shaq. Hmm. All right? He was the most important piece because he's good, not great, at every position on the O-line and can play every position on the O-line. Now that's being tested, and you're right, when he when Shaq went down, yes, I think everybody's heart skips a beat, but the offense kept it moving. That was, I mean, you we really didn't notice that much of a of a change yeah. on the offensive line. And like, that's what you to, want. And you made the great point right there that it kept everybody else in their comfort zone and yeah. to have that one malleable piece that instead of having to change up three or four different things and adding all these variables or uncertainty, having a piece like that that can move and yep. basically, like we talk about manufactured depth, this is actually one of the times when it's playing out that way because at first when you see Shackelford go down, you're like, oh, no, this isn't good. This is the you worst time. Freak out. You're, you're like, like, oh, my oh, God, no, in this right. game, oh, no. and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But then at least the production is survivable and then to hear that Shackelford may be back and ready to go, so that's even better. Yeah. Yeah, Shackelford is probable, but Rod, to your point, and we've said this, uh, even if he's not, I don't think anybody is really that concerned if Derek Kersetter has to be your starting center. I think no. the, the bigger issue at that point is uh, can, Denzel Okafor, right Okafor. tackle, yeah. and can he hold that thing down? That's, that's the question. At the, You know what? I think he can. I mean, at one point he was going to be a projected starter at right tackle for the Longhorns too, so – I think he can. Um, I think he can hold it down at right tackle. He just has to be um, average. You know what I mean? He, doesn't he just have, can't be bad. Just, exactly. Can't be just terrible. don't be. Yeah, because yeah, you the, have Sam. Sam can evade. Yeah, it's in his got, line of sight. Exactly. Right you got tackle. good pieces all around you. You got, I mean, Tom Herman loves the 11 personnel. So it's a really good chance, depending on mm-hmm. how they use the tight end or the H-back. They're going to give maybe the right tackle a little bit more help than they mm-hmm. give Cosme, where you don't can hold up. So there are so many different things you can do. You know, the, you know, the chips by the running backs and the quick game, which we know the Longhorns love the quick game. I'm not worried about the, the offensive line at all. And I trust Herb Hand. I'm actually, I know that sounds weird to say, I'm not worried about the O-line. It's Even a big turnaround. It's Chad awesome. All, all of the worries, the things yeah. that plague the program, the symptoms we talk about, not having a quarterback, not having yeah. structured offense, not having offensive line, like a lot of these things seem to be fixed, or yeah. at least when they go wrong aren't nearly as bad. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think this offensive line, Rod, they should be able to reestablish the line of scrimmage against Oklahoma State, whether Zach Shackelford's in there or not. I know we'll get to Oak State here in a little yeah. bit, but – I don't know. Is their defense worse than it was last year? Uh, that is a good question. It was. I mean, it's it the, had, they've never been. I sort of say they haven't been spectacular anyway. So I don't know. It all depends on the personnel. <laughs> I, I I do think they're secondary. I like AJ Green. Yeah, AJ Green is a, a good the, player. He got beat a couple of times versus Tulsa though. Tulsa. Yeah. Those are threw it threw it deep on him a few times. But as as we know, you know when whether it's been Chris Boyd or especially Holton Hill, Todd Orlando's first year. I mean you're willing to take that because you know more often than not your guy can lock down half the field and your guy's going to beat their guy more often than not. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And A.J. Green's one of the better corners in the country. He is. So, That'll uh, be a good matchup that, for Texas. Yes, with the with Colin Johnson listed as probable, but it seemed like he'll hold him out against Rice was a – it was a good precautionary move. Uh, that, was a, that was a great – that was just smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a smart move. Uh, you know, I want to I want to get to Sam Ellinger, Rod, but let's talk about this personnel situation. You mentioned the eleven personnel, and we talked about this on the Rodcast on Monday, and I want to talk about it here as, as Texas gets ready for Oklahoma State. 
with the emergence of Jake Smith, like you know Devin Duvernay is not yeah. going anywhere at that H role. And, yeah. I, and I think they've done a really good job of scheming up that position in ways that benefit Devin Duvernay, get him the ball in it positions is. where he can stick a foot in the ground and get vertical. It's evolved from the L, the LJH position. Yeah. I love it now. Yeah. Like It's just malleable. You're right, depending on who plays it. And yeah. now we're seeing the emergence of Jake Smith. Six mm-hmm. catches against Rice on six targets, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Had the 53-yard bomb on the seam ball. It looks so natural, man, him it, in that H position. And Tom Herman was asked on Monday in the press conference, you know, how do you get Devin Duvernay and Jake Smith on the field at the same time? And his response was, well, why do we need to? Well, right now, well, you right now you really don't. You don't. It's not. It's, yeah, it's not a necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's why he answered the question that way. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I'm not knocking Tom Herman at all for answering. No. Uh, I'm saying he, right now he doesn't. They don't need to because they've made yeah. it work. And, and by the way, 11 personnel is the most popular personnel package right. at the NFL or the college level. And to m- yeah. my point on this, and I wrote about this on the site, it's up to Jake Smith to force the hand of the staff. For them to make a change. In other words, if Jake Smith just keeps making plays when he's in there, at some point the staff's going to say, "Yeah, you know what? We really do have well, to look." Well, at that's what him. we heard about Brendan Eagles, right? That's what we heard. Apparently, Brendan Eagles in training camp was so he was so dynamic. It's unbelievable. That's why like, Duvernay's at the age, right? He's like, oh, man, exactly. He's like, he afforded us the luxury of putting Devin du- at the uh, Devin Duvernay at the H position. We're like, okay, that sounds really cool. And oh, he's also because now we have so many great dynamic wide receivers with Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay in the slot, and they're bringing in Jake Smith, and now Brendan. Eagles is stepping up. Man, we're going to run even a 10 personnel package at times, which I still think we're going to see. It's just, yeah. we wanted more. We wanted it to see it versus LSU. I think everybody wanted to see it versus LSU. I don't know if you're going to see it versus LSU. I think because of your theory, Jeff, that Tom Herman actually prioritizes the Big 12 games over the, even the LSU game, even yeah. though it was one of the biggest games in Texas football history at home. You may see him break out the new the, the bells and whistles and all the new innovation versus Oklahoma State. He did say this is kind of a empty the playbook kind of game for them, especially since you lost Texas lost five in a row versus Gundy. But I'll and, say and this one one thing on that real quick, Rod. Right? I don't think people need to lose sight of. I think having the bye week next week really makes it an empty the chamber kind of game. Great point too. Great yeah. point on that too. Uh, but getting back to the H position. Because Devin DuVernay right now is your most dynamic wide receiver, this is the beauty of it, why Tom Herman at one point his hand will be forced, right? Jake Smith is stepping up, accelerated rate of development right now. Everybody can see it. It's obvious that guy needs to play more. Um, Devin DuVernay, you can't take him off the field. They play the same position, but Mm. Devin DuVernay has played both outside and inside. Um, But here's the third piece. The tight end position, although you love them as a good blocker, Tom Herman, and we get it, all right? They're great blockers, great. Um, so I'm not nobody's saying stop playing 11 personnel. I don't think anybody said that. We're just saying more Jake Smith. So how do you solve that? In my opinion, you just have to have Jake Smith and Devin DuVernay on the field at the same time. And maybe instead of playing 11 personnel 85% of the time, which mm-hmm. is probably what Texas does, somewhere around that number, you play it 70% of the time. And those extra 15% of the time, we need Jake Smith and DuVernay on the field at the same time. Four wide sets. You need your four personnel. wide sets. And and you can work it how you want to work it. Hell, I even say you they're should in have their a, natural spot should, with both well, in the slot. If you're well, in a, if you're in 10 personnel, I mean, you can get them out there. And both of them can play in the slot. But also, listen, Malcolm Epps is bigger, actually weighs more than Kate Brewer. If you really need a guy out there that's that big. And, and by the way. With your 11 personnel, all you're running right now is four wide sets most of the time anyway. <laughs> most of the time they're just, they're just lining up Cade Brewer in the slot. My thing is give defenses more to worry about. And I nothing against Cade Brewer, but Cade Brewer is a blocker. He's, he's good. He's no yep. Andrew Beck. So he's not giving you an elite advantage as a blocker. And when you line him out there in the slot, 
trust me, teams aren't freaking out about him as a pass catcher either. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is give teams more to worry about. That way, Jake Smith being on the field, to me, defenders have to account for him. You have to allocate resources to stop that guy. You have to allocate resources to stop DuVernay. Same thing with Colin Johnson. Brennan Eagles may be in that category, too. (laughs) Every time they target him, it's basically a touchdown. And when you get to that point, it's like, well, we're going to run out of resources because who we go, who's going to stop Sam? And that's when you put them in an impossible situation. That's when you're your next level. That's yeah. when it's like, well, it can't be stopped. You just got to pick which way you want to die. You want to get shot, you want to get stabbed. And you know what I mean? Like, which one is, is more amenable to you? And that group, if you do go 10, you may end up in the best 11 on the field, which is the objective that Could Texas be that wants. And right, but right now, as you said, you know, preferring to have 11 personnel because especially if you're, say, down offensive linemen, you could see how a coach would be a little bit afraid to go away from it. But when you look about just the shades, the amount of percentage of plays that you go, you know that they have the capability capability to do it and all we've heard from Herman that makes me think that has kept him from doing it to this point is talking about Jake Smith learning the offense and really grasping his job within it to where moving him to a different type of position in within the wide receiver realm with four wide sets may be different so that's where you'd be moving Duvernay you would since they both play the same position inside the three wide sets Duvernay is the type of the guy that can play all different spots so you can actually keep it normal to Jake Smith in that situation and just I mean your basic air raid the way that Cliff Kingsbury puts his best two targets in the slot <laughs> those two in the slot are just going to be such a tough weapon that at least I bet opposing coaches did already is consuming their mind, and they do know that it's a possibility. We just as Texas fans would like to see it too. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, 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 this from uh, from Brian Carrington. He says that Devin Duvernay and Jake Smith are the best slot duo in the nation. And according to Pro Football Focus College, they're first in touchdown receptions among slot duos, first in receptions, first in targets, first in total yards among slot duos by power in Power Five teams. On Duvernay's topping uh, all of. And he, yeah, he may be the best slot receiver out there. Period. Most I mean, I, I, and we know I, in, in the pro. So that goes to the H position yeah, more so than about. I was say, we know in the, the pro H position mm-hmm. the H gobbles up a lot. The of H catches. is yeah. So it just goes to how they can they can kind of uh, utilize and weaponize that position, but still. You got to get both of those guys on the field. Yeah. And it just and comes down will. to changing the conceptually yeah. how they perform, you know, to attack the X's and O's. Like 11 personnel really is a key part right now, but it's not to say that the, you, if you go to an empty what? set with four wides, that it is going to be more productive. But you can do so much more. Okay. Why not go 20 personnel? You put Devin Duvernay in the backfield before. That's where I was Jake Smith go, can yeah. also play in the backfield. Oh, I agree. You can go shotgun split back with Duvernay or Ingram in the backfield or Rashawn Johnson and Jake Smith in the backfield. Backfield and still keep your three wide with your natural age position right. and then freak yep. teams the hell out. Because now yeah. you're you know what I mean? like replacing a blocker in speed yeah. with your most yeah. dynamic athlete. Yeah. There's enough within the framework of that age position. I think this goes back to Matt's point about Jake Smith really being in tune with the offense. Once I think he's there, then, Rod, you can go 20 personnel and have your three wide look with Jake Smith or Devin Duvernay in the backfield, whoever. Whatever, yeah. My thing with the tight ends is this. Have they been bad? No. No. Uh, have they been great, though? No. And like you said, Andrew Beck had an elite tool in his toolkit. That was as a blocker. The NFL like, he's thinks on a, he's a great blocker. He's on a 53-man <laughs> roster right now as a fullback. Not yeah. because he can catch, or really, because he's a receiver, but because he's a great blocker. Yes. Belichick valued him as a mm-hmm. great blocker, people. And okay. had the Patriots <laughs> wanted to carry a second fullback, then he'd probably be on the Patriots. Exactly. Man roster. Yeah. But... My thing with the 11 personnel is it's like we know the advantage is 11 personnel, yes. and especially in the run game. When you've got a run threat like Sam Ellinger and you're already plus one in the run game from that standpoint, 
flexibility you've got with that tight end. You can put him in an H back. You mm-hmm. can show a twenty a twenty personnel look with him. It just gives you so much flexibility and so much of an advantage in the box. And I think that's why Tom Herman really likes it. No, no question. The, the other one gives wants you flexibility be, outside. He wants mm-hmm. to be a guy that when push comes to shove, they can run the football. That's And, and look, mm-hmm. we all know the benefits of 11 personnel. That's why, that's why I thought the more you think about it, bringing Sean McVay in for the coaching clinic in the spring, it's a brilliant move by Tom Herman because, as you said, Rod, nobody runs more 11 personnel than the Rams do. Yeah. And Tom Herman, we know his roots are Greg Davis, your former OC. Mm-hmm. Greg Davis is an 11 personnel guy. So yeah. it, it all it – all Love the tight end position, yeah. My thing, too. The, my thing with the tight ends is this. When you've had this situation where – You've got Jake Smith still emerging, still learning the offense, and Brendan Eagle still coming along. So you're talented at wide receiver, but you still you still weren't sure what it was going to look like when the season started. Yeah, and you had all these injuries at running back to where you move Roshan Johnson there. Very true. The tight ends have had their window to hey, if you're going to be a big part of the offense, this is where you can grab that brass ring and be a part of the offense. And that hadn't happened. So my point is, and it's no knock on Kay Brewer or not Reese Leto, nope. but at some point this season, Rod, Roshan Johnson's not going anywhere at tailback. And, and they're going to get Jordan Whittington back. And, and they've got Danny Young back, and we know what Danny Young can do as a blocker. Yep. Does Tom Herman say not just 10 personnel? Do they get to a point where Tom Herman says, you know what, Danny Young gives us more as a blocker. Very true. Now, let's just go with just a, not a stinky, just a straight-up 20 person. He can be work. our H-back slash fullback or whatever the hell you yeah. want him to be. Yeah, yeah. But Oklahoma's to, had those guys before. Basically, mm-hmm. had Danny Young, and they put him in the backfield. What's that guy's name? I forget his name. Uh, like a Trey Miller Trey, or Demetrius yeah, Flowers. They, yeah, they always got guy. that guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we need that guy. It's not a knock on the tight ends. We're not saying they're bad, but it's Max, about maximizing reps. Right. About maximizing point, opportunities. Do you just say, you know yeah. what, the value of having Jake Smith on the field or the value of having that second running back on the field yeah. that gives you more bang for your buck than being an 11 personnel totally agree yeah that'd be yeah. like it consumes the, the minds of the defense you have more explosivity in instead of almost becoming a bit this more is a, predictable. This is, and this is a first world problem by yeah. the way so we're not, I'm not this is we're not complaining stuff. about it point like we're finally the tuning. offense is also exactly to Matt's point stuff. we've had seasons here where we're like man can they find like three guys that are good on the offensive line <laughs> right. just like make do with two other spots <laughs> that's right you know? seriously well, remember losing 24-0 at Iowa State like that was good oh god yeah no no so I man that's really weird that you and I were both in names for that game yeah I know it was good. and that was horrible Bad news. It was so bad Iowa State didn't even rush the field after the game. Oh, <laughs> they expected to beat Texas. Wow. Their fans were being nice to us on the way out. Wow. I was walking behind Malik Jefferson and Be Patrick Vahe. I was walking behind Patrick Vahe and Malik Jefferson going to the locker room, and like there's like some nine year old kid talking smack to Malik Jefferson, and he's Malik just kind of looks at the kid like. He's <laughs> got a point. And actually. then some of our players recorded that they thought they were going to die on the, on the flight plane ride home. home. Yeah, the whole, it was oh, during the I flooding. Think I do remember that, that Halloween yeah. night in 2015. Yeah, see, we don't have to talk about those days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> these, about are, these are good whether days. we should play 11 personnel or more 10 personnel or 20 personnel. First world problem. Right. Football first, stuff. Problem. first world problem. So yeah. oh, before we get off Rice completely and talk Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. I got to talk Sam Ellinger and Rod. I got a piece yeah. of a horns 24/7 right now that I wrote last week coming out of the LSU game. And this was the 15 games going into the, the Rice game. So basically everything from the Tulsa game last year forward uh, before Rice, the Sam Ellinger accounts in that stretch accounts for 48 touchdowns, only three interceptions, four total turnovers, five if you want to count the safety in the Big 12 championship game, but still 48 touchdowns, five turnovers. Mm-hmm. You take that all day, every day from your quarterback. Yeah. Completion rate. In that stretch, 65.8%, so basically 66%. Uh, 
right around 247 yards per game, 546 rushing yards in that stretch, but against ranked opponents. And this is why I think people need to really appreciate where Sam Ellinger is, especially coming off pretty much was a damn near flawless performance mm-hmm. against Rice. His last Sam Ellinger's last eight games against ranked opponents, 65.5% completion rate, 275 yards a game, 16 touchdown passes, one interception, 46 rushing yards per game, 13 rushing touchdowns. Wow. Yeah. If you just took away the names of the quarterbacks and put their stat lines in uh, with those same metrics against each other, whether you're talking about Jalen Hurts or Tua Tungavailoa, whatever quarterback, whoever you want to throw in, mm-hmm. Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, Rod Sim Ellinger, you can make the argument in his last 15 games played as well as any quarterback in the country. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. And like you said, up against – I can say elite defenses, but elite competition and good teams, yeah. especially when you talk about playing against the right teams. Against. Here's the ranked teams he's yeah. played against. And, and we can, you know, some of these know. teams deserve yeah. to be ranked, but USC, TCU, Oklahoma twice, West Virginia, Iowa State, and that John Hecock defense. And by the way, Sam Ellinger only did his damage in a half yeah. in that Iowa State game. Georgia. And LSU. Yeah. At some point, some people got defensive minds in there. You got some Gary Pattersons in there. Kirby you got some Smart, Kirby Dave Aranda, John Hecock, <laughs> Dave Aranda. Like, at some point, y'all had to stop saying he ain't playing no good defense. It's like, well, no offense is good these days. <laughs> like Sam yeah. Sam Ellinger is the Dak Prescott of college football. At some point, you got to stop making excuses for yeah. why he's succeeding and just admit, you know what? He's good. Guy's pretty good. He's good. Uh, what I loved about the Rice game and watching Sam, and we've known this for a while, and I've talked to Tom Herman about it. When I asked Tom Herman, you know, what's standing out about Sam in the training camp, we're hearing about all the intangibles. Tom Herman said, he said, he now is so immersed in the offense. He's so, is so self-aware in terms of uh, the mastery he has of the offense that he now is revealing things to Tom Herman about the offense. Like Tom Herman's like, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? He's like, oh, well, coach. Because of this. Look, they they presented this to me. So, remember, we always talk about this and this and this. And he's like, oh, okay, good job, Sam. And if, he said at that point, he said, you know, he's now – it's it's his offense. Yeah. And you can see that now. It is – that's not Tim Beck's offense. That is not Tom Herman's offense. That is Sam Ellinger's offense. He has now tailored it to him. And he's running it to his specifications. And I, I to me, I think that's what every offensive coordinator wants ultimately – Every play caller wants every head coach. You break somebody down, you build them up in your own image. You want that's what that compatibility is about. You want them calling plays and seeing things just like you would see on the field. That's what's happening right now with Sam. He's been empowered to do that, and that is now his offense. It's good to know, it's good to see, man. It's good to me. That is now the difference with this offense. You don't have to worry about uh nobody's nobody's calling out. You know what? Oh, we're Tim back in the game plan or uh, questioning that play call by Tom Herman. No, because it ain't their offense anymore. It's say it's no longer that what was lost in translation about what Tom Herman wanted Sam to do and what he did on the field and mm-hmm. uh, what they thought he was going to do and what he should have done and all that. Uh, that's all done now. Now it is. It's just him, man. He's he's Neo in the Matrix within yeah, that offense. Oh, no, he really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it like, is, what, man. I it's it's so rarely it's so rare to see him make bad decisions. Now going back to your Dak comparison, right? Within that Kellen Moore offense, why they say why they make the move? Because Kellen Moore and Dak were really close. Kellen Moore and Dak had compatibility. There was a kind of a hive mind that developed between the two. Remember Scott Linhan and Dak Prescott never spoke on the sidelines. Right. Never spoke. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I know it sounds crazy. Kellen Moore used to be it's the mediator. Just, he would translate what Scott Linhan wanted to say to Dak and vice versa. 
person, you go, what? That's crazy. And they decided to eliminate that middleman. And I think even Tim Beckman eliminated as the middleman is, is helping a little so bit. So you saying with Tom Scott, Herman as the play caller with this hive mind with Sam? Are you saying Scott Linehan was like uh, the uh, jump to conclusions Matt guy in Office <laughs> Space? But no, I mean, and, and, and listen, nothing against Scott Linehan, but he and Dak didn't have that. That's why Sean McVay and Jerry Goff. It's always important to right. have that high. That's what people want that hive mind concept. Yeah, we've seen that with Greg. We've seen that here with Greg. Greg Davis and Colt McCoy and yeah. they got there with Vince Young. And, and then exactly. You want you, that's what everybody wants now. And as Sam and Tom Herman definitely got that. Lincoln and Riley and his quarterback. Lincoln, when you got, get that dynamic. And Lincoln Riley and anybody <laughs> who takes a snap. Lincoln yeah. Riley and Matt Babers. Matt Butler. Matt Butler. Yeah, Matt Babers too. They got to both of you, both of you guys, man. <laughs> but, just Rod. Do, yeah. <laughs> but Rod but Rod wins a Heisman for Lincoln Dude, Jalen Hurts has more in, he has more touchdowns and incompletions right now. It's I know a, they ain't played nobody. It's insane. Yeah. It's but like Venom's Peyton. Remember that RG3 stat? That's hard there? to do against mm. air, man. Exactly. It's like, how does he do that against real competition? So when Sam Ellinger and Jalen Hurts meet, ooh, that's going to be a— uh, that's gonna be a clash of the titans, yeah. dude. And we're only a couple weeks away. I know, sorry, it's crazy. Sorry. That's not. Let's look at. But, but talking about state. the quarterbacks <laughs> and just the idea of Sam, you know, and where he's at mentally. That when he comes to the sideline, where you've always been at that point where you're being coached, but now there's this mutual relationship oh, that yeah. you basically are going to report back and tell him what you're seeing and you're seeing, and it's sort of just that information sharing that you're on the same level. That at that point, it's total trust in the other person and vice versa. And Tom Herman knows. No, he's seen it. I need to listen to what he's seen because I can't be those eyes out there. And that's a dynamic that's it tough is. to even yeah. get at the college level because you're limited such a small yeah. time window. They have three OCs and two play callers. Tim Beck, Tom Herman, and Sam Ellinger are all the offensive coordinators. The two play callers are Tom Herman and Sam Ellinger. That's basically works with pretty much. Yeah. As mm-hmm. we've seen even Sam at times where you can tell he checks. You can so tell he's changing the play. He's checking. like, nah, I don't like that. But I know, I know, I know what coach would like in this. Play. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's a package situation <laughs> yeah. where it's like Sam here, here's two options. Kill this play. Yeah. It probably is. That's a good point. Or, or if it's hey, I know the playbook though. So yeah, I, I got something. He in might mind. be at that point. I, yeah, I, I think I, he I is at that point. But yeah, I don't good. know. It's great. It's great to watch. When we talk about quarterback duels, guys, and as we start to look at Texas and Oklahoma State, let's do it. There's pretty damn good quarterback duel going to happen this weekend with Spencer Sam Ellinger and Spencer Sanders, who okay. was a great high school quarterback in Denton Ryan before he had a knee injury, and Mike Gundy ends up with him and. You figured, Rod, as dynamic as this kid was in this offense, if it works, holy crap, Mike Gundy's got him a quarterback. And you That's another look, guy was good with quarterbacks. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. look at Spencer Sanders and Chuba Hubbard at running back, and we all watched the game last year in Stillwater and saw what Tylen Wallace did to the Texas secondary. Rod, you probably got to go back to 2010 when Mike Gundy had Brandon Whedon, Kendall Hunter, and Justin Blackman to find the last say. time he's had – yeah. The quarterback, running back, three-headed monster like he's got right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's always got some great personnel, but I'm with you, man. This is an explosive trio, extremely yeah. explosive. So I, I'm going to agree with you on that. I'm trying to go back and look and see if – I don't know who did Justin Hill. Who's the receiver with Justice, Justice Hill when he was there? Uh, he didn't have no. really a dynamic receiver really teamed up with. I'm sure that was somebody productive. Yep. And then yeah, yeah. 08 with Dez and uh, Robinson just added with Hunter. I'm trying to go so through good. my brain and get my yeah, Oklahoma no, State you're right. receivers. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Get my Oklahoma State receivers. Yeah, no, no, no. But that's either way. My point is this James Washington was there. Yeah. James Washington. Yeah, yeah so they did Mason. have a good one. There you go. Now they're there <laughs> with the Steelers. But I just, that's together. how good I think this this group is. You said it's better than the Justice Hill, James Washington. Yeah, because they didn't so. have the Mason okay. Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. That was a pretty damn good one. I know he's always got a trio. That's one thing about Mike Gundy. Y'all get himself a little trio there. I'll say this. What worries me the most, I know this sounds crazy, 
What worries me the most is that I I I, I trust Todd Orlando to come up with a good game plan. I usually his game plans make sense to me early on, but what do you decide to take away? Yeah, and do you have the resources to take away more than one thing? Because it's just it's three different problems he's got to solve. Chuba Hubbard, who's leading the country right now in rushing yards, and well, you got to look at his yards after contact. I mean, I want to say like forty percent of his yards have come after contact. Something freaky like that, man. He's a he's a beast. And then you got Tyler Wallace, nation's leading receiver and also leading in receiving touchdowns. We know him very well. So you know you got to devote more than one guy to Tyler Wallace. Please don't let him end up man on man on one of them corners. Please don't do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Chuba Hubbard, you know you got to put guys in the box to stop him. But then on top of that, you got a, a, a plus one, a dual threat quarterback, a quarterback that's, I think, second on that team in rushing right now. So you got to account for him because that's the guy that will just keep the chains moving on you when everything else is broken down and you've allocated resources. So he's got three problems that he's got to solve, and I don't know if he's got the resources to do it. And, and back to the injury. We talked about injuries earlier. So offensively, Colin Johnson is probable, held him out against Rice. He yeah. should be good to go. Got Offense got Danny Young back in the Rice game from the thing. ankle injury, so he's good to go. He looked good too, actually. Zach Shackelford probable. He's supposed to be limited in practice early in the week, kind of see where he is. But we talked about the offensive line. If you get Kirstad yeah. or Nokafer, there's been much worse scenarios around here on the offensive line no than, doubt. than that. Yeah. But defensively, Rod, is where it's going to hurt you because you know, if you're Todd Lander, you know you're not going to have DeMarvion Overshone, and you know you're not going to have B.J. Foster. No, B.J. Foster. So I would think Cowboy is probably out this week. I'm, I, I just don't think you have the personnel. To I was going to say I don't know if you do. It would be, the whole point of Cowboy package was to get your best eleven on the field, and you had an embarrassment of riches at safety. You had like five or six different guys that can start at safety. Now you're I mean, down. You still got four. You still got four. <laughs> and you're still doing pretty good. I was going to say you're still all right. You, you got Brandon Jones, Caden Stearns, Chris Brown. You're Josh still Thompson, all right. Yeah. Josh Thompson. You're still all right. But I'm with you. I think now your lightning package may be that may be as deep as you go in your sub packages, and Man. you can still do lightning and still be really effective. You got your two corners, like you said, you got four safeties. To me, the, the the answer to your question is, how healthy is Joseph Osai for this game? Because we know he's not going to be 100. percent The defensive MVP, you could argue. But if he's if you get Joseph Osai at 85, at he's, 90, oh yeah. You can still make that work. If it's Joseph Osai at closer to 70 50, or 60, then, then, you then Mike Gundy issues. could take advantage then of it. Then maybe him. you're only using Joseph Osai situationally on third downs or whatever. Yeah. And that's not good. If if it were me, Rod, even though you don't have, you know, we'll see what happens with Joseph Osai. You know you're not going to have him at 100%. I just, I roll covers to Tylen Wallace, and I take my chances with Sanders and Hubbard. Okay. I, I if I'm Take and I don't know how Todd Orlando's going to approach it, but given what happened last year, if I'm Todd Orlando, my mindset is I can't let Tylen Wallace win this game for Oklahoma State. Yeah, because I'd rather die, you know, death of a thousand cuts, I guess. Then yeah, because Tylen Wallace just blows the game wide open for yeah. you, and then you're playing from a deficit. And I think Texas is a better team when they can play in front, when they can play with a little bit of a lead, grind out that clock on these 12-play, 75-yard drives and things like that nature and force their opponent to get a little bit desperate. But I, I, I've watched that Oklahoma State toast for him. Oklahoma State loves the inside and the outside zone. So their main running plays are probably going to be inside zone, outside zone, and they're going to run uh, zone read. Uh, they'll run, they'll run some of that stuff out of the pistol formation with the running back right behind the quarterback, and they'll run like an H counter. Those are kind of the three 
the four bread and butter that's run. That's kind of been the staples of the Gundy run game Remember, for a while now. And that's what yeah. we, that's what they did against Texas, right? Last year they did this linebackers. They stretched them out, right? Kept running that outside zone, and Texas could never catch and up. They would run it with some misdirection and two backs in the back. You had one back going one way, another back going the other way. Boom and run. I'm that glad stretch. you brought that up because Tom Herman was asked, and, and I think you know we heard like Tom Herman talking about Ed Orgeron. Ah, eh, we're cordial. You know, we, we see each other on the road. Yeah, yeah. And say hi. Tom Herman really respects Mike Gundy, and you can tell that the way he talks about Mike Gundy. I can agree with that. Talked about his yeah. you know, recruiting acumen in terms of evaluations and how he develops yeah. guys. He said, I got zero guys on my roster who, who received an offer yeah. from Texas. Yeah. Zero. He, and you know what? Said it with pride. Yeah. Zero. None. Here's the most un- <laughs> I don't want those guys. <laughs> I, when, when push comes to shove, if I'm ranking the Big 12 coaches, I think Mike Gundy's number one. I He's would in the conversation, though. Yeah. I would probably rank Gundy one, Patterson two. Riley, Riley, Riley Harmon, three, whatever. Howard, yeah. Matt rolls up there for me too. Whatever. Matt Campbell, too. Damn, Campbell, damn yeah, good gosh. coaches in the so Big Twelve. Damn good coaches yeah, in this league. Yeah, yeah. And K State coaches starting out pretty Chris damn Kleiman, good. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you go down to Stark Vegas and get you a win. That's good That's on, yeah. on K State for doing that. The most underrated thing about Mike Gundy, Rod, and this goes back to last year's game. We kind of know the staples of a Mike Gundy offense, mm-hmm. but it's almost unrecognizable based on opponent. Because what the one thing I think Mike Gundy is really good at, if there's a weakness on your defense. He will identify that weakness and exploit the you-know-what out of it until you either do something or he just gets bored and decides there's some other advantage he wants. He, there's something yeah. else he wants to take advantage. And you're right. Nobody may be better at building a game plan around your weakness. Yeah, and, and, we, and we saw that last year because we don't ever see Oklahoma State run 20 personnel, 21 personnel. Nope. They ran a ton of two-back formations. Because what they yeah. did last year was they said, you know what, we're just going to run this stretch play away from Gary Johnson. Because even as fast as he is, he ain't going to be able to work through that trash in time. Just throw an extra body to Anthony Wheeler, and we'll just run the football. And they, they figured out, instead of try, forcing our linemen to try to get to the second level, let's just let our other running back get to the second level because he gets there a lot faster. Yeah. And the other running back moving that two back forces the linebacker to at least stall for a second and figure out what the running back is doing. And then that's why Gary... He was, you know, he was late. So the Gary Johnson was late a lot of times to that stretch, that outside zone play. Yeah. So you're right. It was, it was something really small, ended up being huge. And, and that, then they ran the quarterback a lot, which is something they also didn't really do a lot. Well, corn, corn dog, Cornelius. Yeah, oh Cornelius. god, I think yeah. that might be his best rushing game of the season. He had career. more yards, but he ran it 12 times, had two touchdowns, had the big. I think it was the third or fourth down conversion. And he didn't quarter. have a lot of up. Yeah. Like you said, they ran him. Um, it was, it was all about the timing, and it was all just to make. To make sure that Todd Orlando would account for him in certain situations, and make sure those linebackers they would stay just another half second mm-hmm. to try to make sure that that you know that that quarterback wasn't a run threat, and then they were always late to that outside yeah. zone. You're right; it's small, but it was really it was big. Being well coached too to understand yeah. what you're seeing, and then now he has a guy that actually can be a threat at that position. Yeah. With this, which just adds on a multiplier effect to the Gundy offense because the Gundy offense has been one, like you said, they'll continue to beat you home with it, and that's when they get into tempo when they see that mismatch. It's sort of something that we've seen from Herman throughout his time too that he'll go straight at it until that drive's over. He doesn't care, and you beat it home, and that's just good coaching yeah. identifying what you're up against. Yeah, that's true. Did it, it last game. Against Rice, right? Yeah. In a lot yeah. of ways, <laughs> for, for, for let's go, let's go. We just saw it. Let's From let's that go. standpoint, Same Rod, in, in, a lot, in a lot of ways, LSU. like Mike Gunny and Tom Herman are pretty similar in terms of offensive minds and terms oh, of yeah. trying to exploit a weakness. And you know, they've got base concepts they lean on, but I mean, the Texas that. offense can. We talked about how malleable it is. Like week to week, it can look 
And like go back to last year, like week to week, it can look different. Mm-hmm. No question. Sometimes you can look like an air raid offense at times, and then yeah, sometimes you run the what's a cowboy back, I believe he calls it. He's called yeah, the cowboy but, back. I, I love like how that. they use that cowboy back. Mm-hmm. They basically like use him as a, he really he's is basically an Andrew back. back. Yeah, he's basically exactly. their version. He just looks for an Andrew back of some kind. Yeah. Um, but in that Oklahoma State Tulsa game, Oklahoma State did struggle. They put up only thirty three yards in the second quarter versus Tulsa. That's why. That's why the the score initially. Oklahoma State's up, and then Tulsa closes the gap, and it gets close, and then like they, they run away with it. Year. Yeah, so in that, that second quarter, what Tulsa did, though, they played bump and run. Now, they do have a lot of, uh, from my remember for Tulsa, a lot of veteran secondary guys, senior and junior safeties and senior and junior corners. So they played bump and run man-to-man, and it did disrupt the timing of the routes a little bit. They play, they tried to play a deep safety over the top. So I think that gave uh, the, the passing game of Oklahoma State a little trouble. Oklahoma State wants to go deep, a vertical passing game. Other than Oklahoma, nobody averages more yards per attempt down the field than Oklahoma State. So they throw it down the field, which actually may work in Texas' favor a little bit. I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, Tyler Wallace was also leading, I think, uh, through two weeks he was leading the country in yards after catch. Uh, at least you know they want where they want to attack you. You know what I mean? They want to attack you deep down the field. So you can keep a deep safety back there, and maybe a Caden Stearns or a Brandon Jones or whoever's going to play your deep safety can keep them from getting some of those big chunk yardage plays. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's where they want to go. They want to go play action over the top after feeding Chuba. Yeah, all I, I wonder too, Rod, about their lightning personnel. I wonder if this is almost a week where your two, you know, your boundary safety and your field safety are Caden Stearns and Josh Thompson. So that way, because we know Brandon Jones will be in the nickel whenever they have a nickel out there. Mm-hmm. And I just think Chris Brown as a joker, getting him close to the line of scrimmage. I, yeah. I really like Chris Brown as like a box that. player because of what you lose not having B.J. Foster there. Or Overshone. Especially, yeah, in your sub packages when you would have DeMarvin Overshone out there. I like getting Chris Brown as close to what? the box as I can. I like that. I think you're right about that. He's he seems to be the most maybe most physical player in the secondary yeah. with BJ Foster That's and Oshawn. Saying a lot out. considering how many and physical Brandon, guys you've got. Exactly, Brandon there. Jones is physical, but yeah, I I agree with you. I like that. Yeah, Brown was the type of guy that almost just surprises you how physical he is because he doesn't seem to have that body type, and then you see him embracing it. And it's like the physicality him around there just seems natural around the line of scrimmage. I got this stat about the dual threat quarterbacks for Thailand. I want to share it just really quickly. Okay, so since 2000. Um, since 2010, with Todd Orlando as a DC. Oh, you did a deep dive on this, right? Yeah, he is 13 and 12 as a DC versus dual threat quarterbacks. What I classify as dual threat quarterbacks, quarterbacks who lead their team in rushing are second on their team in rushing. Basically, top two on their team in rushing. So, leading your team in passing or finish first or second on your team in rushing. So, that's it. But here's the beauty of it. Um, his time at U, since his time at Texas, he's four and two versus dual threat quarterbacks. And at since his time at U of H and Texas, I want to say he's ten and three. So early on, when he didn't have talented defenses, he would struggle versus dual threat quarterbacks. He would just eat them alive. Hell, Nick Saban struggles versus transcendent dual threat quarterbacks. But when he's got more talented defenses, he has yeah, he actually has had a decent game plan versus those dual threat quarterbacks. When you're outnumbered, it comes down to your one on one matchups, and if you have better defenders in those one on one matchups, you might be able to deal with that dual threat quarterback. Yeah, I just I think that goes back to the side point though, guys. I mean, it is so great points. So key. I agree because if if you're too at that point, Rod, if you're too linebackers then or uh, in my opinion based on what we've seen through the first three games I think if Osai is out of the mix Jawan Mitchell and Jeffrey McCulloch are your two best options you mm-hmm. know the downhill twitchiness of those two guys yeah. is going to be there but you're going to sacrifice a little bit sideline to sideline and, and space playmaking 
for what those guys bring to the table. And then it's up to Todd Orlando to figure out, okay, within these skill sets, how do I best attack this Oklahoma State offense? Oklahoma State's offensive line is a strength. Big day, big uh, game for our defensive line. They gotta, they gotta show up, and they gotta have a great game. If they don't have a why, great game. Which, Texas will lose this. Which game. is why we said coming out of the Rice game, that group gained confidence. Yeah. Okay, we saw some tangible stuff against Rice. If this, if Keandre Colburn slipped the switch, if this is the game that got mm-hmm. Taquan Graham going, yep. this is where you need to see it. Big game for the D line. Yeah. Actually, you could argue it may be that may be the most important defensive group position for them this could be that literal launching point game for a guy like Coburn because he is talented and has flashed and you sort of saw him the last couple weeks but he's going to be on national tv again and against a team with a good offensive line if you have a big game it's going to be huge because like Jeff already said Osai the type of guy like Jeff was the one coming into the season knew how big of a deal it was at linebacker and I really didn't think you would get the performance that we've got from Osai the first three weeks so then now when he's taken away it's like I man Osai might be the most valuable piece to this entire defense no inside doubt. the Big 12. We didn't even know that at the time. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that, Matt. Like, I knew Joseph Osai was good. I didn't know he was going to be this good this soon. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know if anybody did. MVP no. good. Yes, uh, he's the MVP of the defense at yes. this point. So, that's it's a big difference. So, right as we look at this Texas offense against Oklahoma State's defense, this Jim Knowles defense for Oklahoma State, like I said, I mean – we know Oklahoma State doesn't play great defense anyway, hmm. but they're not even really getting like the splash plays, yeah. like turnovers or you know Oklahoma State. You look up some years they'll be top thirty ish in a country mm-hmm. in sacks and TFLs. Yeah. Not even really seeing that from them right Usually now. Usually a high risk, high reward defense. Uh, this year that has not really been the case, but they still you know I think they trust AJ Green in coverage a lot. I seen him get beat versus Tulsa, but he's still one of the better corners. I wonder if he'll. You know, usually guys who are your best corners, they may travel if they're playing man-to-man, but I doubt it with A.J. Green because with Texas are so many different threats, a wide receiver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who is he going to follow? Hobbled Colin Johnson? Yeah, I mean, last year he Last year was Colin Johnson. Yeah. He was it's matched up on. And he did a great does. job against Colin Johnson. Yeah. That's actually is one of his performances, I think, that got NFL scouts' attention. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for Texas, the, the benefit's going to be they can't – they don't have the means to stop you. They don't. They just don't. No, and it, you know like what you mean? saw, they so, just they, they will periodically because they'll make plays, but consistently they won't be able to stop Texas. And you said you watched no. the beginning of that Tulsa game, and I watched a tiny bit of it, and but I didn't realize they actually fell behind twenty-one twenty at oh, yeah. halftime of that. And then After when you that look bad back, quarter, yeah. Well, and it, the main thing is like. They gave up big pass plays for two of the mm-hmm. drives. But then they also just let one drive just ran. Tulsa literally just ran the ball down the field yeah. on them in increments. It's like a 13-play drive, and they're getting six yards at a I time. I will say all the way. those running backs, remember last year, those Tulsa running backs who were really good, yeah. Sherrod Brooks, and remember that guy? Like, he was the one that was that was basically the, the workhorse when they were feeding him. They were good running backs against Texas. I mean, we saw those guys. They were good players. And they brought back at least one of those running backs. And, yeah, he, they ran down Oklahoma's throat. For one of those and drives. that's right after yeah. they had different receivers bust 40-plus yard receptions to set up their other scores. So yeah. if you just look at how Tulsa attacked them, it's going to be pretty good setup for Texas if Tulsa is able to get explosive pass plays left and right I'm and run the ball. Tulsa went four wide a lot of the time. So not, I mean, not that Texas can't do it with their 11 personnel, but that'd be even better. I mean, Tulsa was spreading them out. Yeah, I mean, this you just look at Oklahoma State's defensive personnel. I mean, typically there's a couple guys you recognize even from a name standpoint. No. I mean, for a AJ casual Green's fan— it. Outside of AJ Green and maybe Calvin Bundage at linebacker, it, it's really there's a lot of Bundage is a good player. Yeah, a lot of turnover on that defense from last year. Yeah, so I think I think they uh, there'll be a high risk, high reward defense though. I think they know they could they go, it's going to be a shootout, so they just need to get turnovers. 
It's and, hard to force Todd, Sam Ellinger to turn the ball over. Yeah. That's why I just trust that Sam's going to win the game. Yes, our defense is going to give up yards. I don't think Todd Orlando's going to be able to solve Mike Gundy's game plan. They got too much talent. I think they'll find a way to break through. But I know Sam is transcendent, so Sam will just have to win the game. It might come down to who gets the ball last. So what you're saying is we're talking about him like he's Vince Young. That's so awesome. And I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I just trust Sam. What you're saying is, Rod, take the over. Take the over. Yeah, I think it's now it's at 72. Last time I looked at it, it started at 69. Yeah, I'll double check yeah, it right now. It's something. Yeah, take the over, man. Yeah, Matt's going to check that, and while he does that, uh, we'll go to Mike Roach, talk some recruiting, and then we'll come back and make some picks. All right, it is that time where we talk recruiting here on the Blitz. We're going to go live to Crowley, Texas, Tarrant County, America. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, and nobody covers Texas recruiting like Mike Roach, the recruiting editor at Horns 24-7. Mike, how's it going, man? You're 2-0, and Buffalo Bills, Jeff, and we don't get to say that often, and I don't care who it's against. Uh, New York State champions have beat the Jets and Giants in, in uh, the Meadowlands or MetLife or whatever, so it's going pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm wonderful. I figured uh, you would mention something about that since, like you said, you don't get to brag on your Bills all that often. But, Mike, uh, we've got recruiting questions to talk about, so let's jump right in. And uh, I want to thank everybody who submitted questions on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7. Mike, a few questions about 2020 recruiting numbers, and that'll lead us into the big recruiting news of the week. That's the commitment of Ty Jordan out of West Mesquite, the running back slash slot receiver slash all-purpose guy uh, for the Wranglers. Really electric guy, speedster out of the Metroplex. But, Mike, Texas at 19 right now. So outside of wide receiver, which we know there's two or three of those guys probably coming down the pipe at some point, just go ahead and reiterate for everybody what the numbers look like. And keep in mind, I asked Tom Herman this week on the Big 12 Coaches Teleconference just his general overview about the recruiting cycle because when we get to Wednesday, that's exactly three months until the early signing period starts. And he did say they're not going to take a full class of 25-plus. So at 19, Mike, if anybody didn't believe you before, Texas really is getting down to probably the last three or four guys in this class. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of hammered it as much as I could over the last two months. But uh, to me, 22 or 23 is probably the number. Um, you know, you're looking at maybe uh, maybe two receivers, uh, you know, Alfred Collins at D-line, and then gives you some fluidity to maybe take a flyer on a linebacker or a tight end. I mean, that's kind of where I've been yeah. basically the entire time. It's just, you know, I mean, they it's a combination of they've taken a lot of big classes lately. They're um, underclassmen heavy, so there's not a lot of guys graduating. And there's a lot of talent next year, and there's not, not a need to spend scholarships on guys just to waste them this year when you've got a lot of talent next year. All right, Mike, let's go ahead and get to some questions that don't have to do with 2020 numbers. HD Forever wants to know, has the ship sailed for Keeley Ringo in Texas? Um, I wouldn't say the ship sailed. I think Texas is still working on it. I think that, um, and you know, obviously, you know, my position has been that uh, that Georgia is way out in front in this recruitment. Um, from what I've heard, Texas has maybe closed the gap a little bit. I think they would obviously they're going to make room for Keely Ringo if they can get Keely Ringo. They already have three corners. Um, you know, I mean, the ship hasn't sailed until he signs somewhere. That said, I think Texas has a lot of work to do. 
All right, Chase Cassidy wants to know, Mike, any way we can get back to recruits' reactions to the game? Really look forward to them coming in each game, regardless of who we play. I know at least one recruit had a reaction. Mike, I think it's safe to say, though, I know you had the uh, the big Duncanville-St. John's game on Saturday, and let's face it, I don't know how many recruits actually watch the Rice game. Right. I don't know how many Texas fans could find it on TV from what I was reading on the board. So, um you know, usually here's our policy is we do recruits react after uh, home games because if it, or, or big games. I mean, if there was a big road game, like for instance, next year, we would do it after LSU, even though it's a road game. But uh, something I know that's a national TV product that probably everybody's tuned into, I'll do. Or if it's a bowl game, um, I'll do that. But, you know, if it's a rice game and – you know, I'm out doing something. It's just we're not going to get a lot from recruits. We're really not. And I'm sure somebody, one person does have a reaction to it, but I can't make, an, you know, an article or anything out of one person's reaction. So, uh, you know, yes, we'll do them, obviously. Uh, we'll be back at them this week, you know. should they? And, and a lot of it depends on how they play. You know, if they, if they go out there and get beat by 30 against Oklahoma State, kids aren't real – willing to give you a good reaction or a reaction at all. So, um, you know, it just kind of depends on, on the products on the field. Yeah, and on top of that, Mike, I don't know if people knew this, but since Rice was the designated home team at NRG, even though I do think it's important for Texas to have as much of a presence in Houston as they can since there's no – and I had an article about this on the site Saturday morning – there's no Big 12 foe in that Houston metro area footprint. Uh, Texas doesn't have a regularly scheduled game in Houston like they do with the OU game in Dallas. Uh, Rice was the home team, so Texas couldn't even give t- give recruits tickets to that game anyway. So it's not like um, Texas got a whole lot out of that other than just a general exposure uh, in the greater Houston area for that game. And you, you did mention it was on CBS Sports Network. I don't know how many times we mentioned that throughout the week, but people still got confused and thought it was regular CBS or somewhere else, but yes, CBS Sports Network. Hope everybody found it, which, by the way, we are part of the CBS family at Orange 24-7, 24-7 Sports. So shout out to everybody at CBS Sports Network uh, and HQ doing a fine job. Uh, TX Longhorn, 1989, Mike wants to know. I asked this on another thread, but Mike hasn't answered yet. We'll post here just in case. Looking at our 2020 commits, who of the curtain three-star rated players do you see moving up to four-star before it's all said and done? Uh, and that would be, and I guess this is three-star in the composite, uh, that would be Eaton, Fillinger, uh, Jordan Carriage, and Hullaby. I think that, um, I think Fillinger has a chance to. He's putting together a really, really impressive senior class, uh, senior year. Um, I haven't checked back in on his stats, but through his, like, first two or three games, he had, like, six or seven sacks and, a bunch of tackles for loss. I think he's right probably on that borderline anyways. Um, for me, Andre Carriage is probably the biggest riser in this class. Yeah. I think he's he's going to have some monster film this year. And there's some things that held his ranking down that, you know, I'll get to probably after signing day and explain um, some outside factors that, that held his ranking down a little bit that we've now been able to clear up. I think it'll – push him up a little bit because everybody every evaluator I've ever spoken with about Andre Carriage loves his talent there were some some other factors going on so um you know I think he, I think Dillinger and him and then I think Ty Jordan may have an outside chance his biggest problem is that West Mesquite's just not very good this year and he's really the only 
good player on that team. So I don't know how good his film is going to be because guys are teams are just keying all over him. Okay, Mike, we got some three rapid-fire questions from UT Haas, so let's take these one at a time. One, what positions do you see the team needing to focus on to close the 2020 class out? I think we just talked about. Mike, kind of the, and I hate this analogy, but proverbial gun to your head. Uh, if the decision comes down to the offensive staff liking a tight end or the defensive staff liking a linebacker, put your Tom Herman hat on. If you've got the final say, which way are you going, tight end or linebacker, to finish out the class? I mean, I guess it would depend on who the prospect was. Is the tight end better than the linebacker? I yeah, I tend to. I would probably say tight tight end, just because aside from Jaden Holby, we don't really know what he is yet. They don't really have a tight end in this class. Um, although the tight end room is pretty healthy on campus, and uh, you know, I say th- I think the as we've seen during the games, the linebacker room looks better than a lot of people expected it to. I think Jawan Mitchell's kind of been. Uh, you know, a surprise really early, and uh, so I'd probably still go tight end just because they don't they don't really have a, tr- a true one right now. I don't know where you're at on this, Mike, but I keep bringing it up. I think Jaden Hullaby could be the linebacker taking this class when it's all said and done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he could go either way in that case, and um, you know, he's a guy that they're obviously you know adding to two running back commits. That running back room is going to get a lot healthier next year. But, man, and he's a guy that in a situation like they have right now, he's a guy you move right back to running back, you know, if yeah. if if everybody's hurt and he's having a, a really good senior year as well. So, yeah, he's, he's a possibility to move anywhere. Really. All, right. All right, Mike, what recruit, regardless of commitment status, is your personal favorite, be it personality, talent, et cetera, in the 2020 and 2021 class? Um, that's a good question. The 2020 class, I really like the offensive linemen. Um, I would say majors and par like are guys I bonded with pretty early, uh, and great families. Uh, you know, really funny uh, kids and, and really good-hearted kids. I think uh, those two are, are probably um, my favorite in the 2020 class, uh, just because I've known them the longest and, and really covered them. I mean, I I feel like I was kind of driving the the Jake Majors bus before he ever had an offer um so he and i have a special uh a special kinship um you know uh, vernon broughton to me is like one of the funniest people i've ever met really um he's he's just a big goofy kid and that's what's what what i love about vernon is he's so big and like scary looking he is literally the nicest person in the world and um you know he just loves to have a good time and laugh and uh, you know, you talk to him and you end up, you know, you're, you end up walking away, your face hurting because you've been laughing with him. So uh, those guys are probably my favorite in that class. In 21, um, you know, that's more of a group of quiet guys. I've really gotten to like Jalen Milrow, um, getting to know him, but I don't know him as well as a lot of the other people in the class. Um, I think Billy Bowman is probably – Probably the guy I would say I'm closest with in the 21 class, um, just because I, I've known Billy for a while here in the Dallas area. So, uh, but I'm still kind of you know forging relationships with those guys and, and getting to know them a little better. Kind of a loaded question for the last one from UT Haas here, Mike. What area of the state of Texas do you think is the best when it comes to football, and why? In what area? Like, are we talking like regionally? I, I, I would assume regionally, yeah. Let's just assume that. 
since it wasn't detailed? I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, and the question is where I'm the best? I think where where do you think the best football – let me re- uh, reread the question. Uh, what area of the state of Texas do you think is the best when it comes to football and why? Uh, so, so I don't I don't I don't know if that's go, talent I'm or pick here. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna go Homer pick here. It's Dallas. I mean, it's it's Dallas pretty much year in and year out. Um, you know, I think Dallas, the DFW area football, Houston is absolutely right there in the picture. But year in and year out, I think uh, top to bottom, Dallas. When you look at programs, and look, we we're gonna to do this. You're gonna have to get into the argument of what is Dallas because um, I'm about to mention Alito which is about, uh, you know, an hour and 10 minutes from downtown Dallas. So, uh, but to me, DFW area football is, is probably the best uh, when, you, when it comes to teams. I think Houston may, you know, depending on the year, probably have more individual talent. But when you're talking about team football, and I think the results bear themselves out at state just about every year, uh, DFW is, is where the best football is played. I, I would agree with that. I'll also give a shout out to East Texas. I love the coaches out in East Texas, and, and for, I don't think it gets oh, better definitely. than and I don't think it gets better than Friday nights uh, in East Texas. Oh, definitely. And, and East Texas is, I would say, they, they don't have the depth that like Dallas or Houston can bring. But pound right. for pound, you know, it, it, nobody may do. It. I mean, when you talk about programs like Carthage and Longview, uh, you know, those are programs that that are uh, you know above reproach for anyone and. Uh, you know, you talk about Fridays in East Texas. I'm about to do two in a row. I've got two really big uh, games scheduled to see John Tyler and uh, Texas High one week. And then the very next week, I'm going back to see uh, Carthage and uh, Pleasant Grove. So nice. uh, that game, I am extremely excited. That's probably the game I've got circled most on my calendar is, is best atmosphere for the year. Nice. Mike Griffin McCombs wants to know which 2020 guys are most likely to have an immediate impact and will get playing time at the very least on special teams. I know this is more uh, of know, a team I, question, but well, I'll give I'll give it a shot. Um, I think every year I think uh, that guy's a red shirt, and with the new red shirt rules, you know things change. There have been guys that played this year that I thought wouldn't probably get on the field, uh, and they have so. Um, you know, I think that it, it always just kind of depends on what the fit is at the time. I think obviously Bijan Robinson is going to play. Um, you know, I think Ty Jordan is a guy that can get on the field. He's just because you look at him and you don't think, well, we have to work on this and we've got to get him. Like he's probably around as big as he's going to be. Um, you know, he's incredibly fast and he's got that well-rounded skill set. I think that'll get him on the field early. Uh, obviously, I think the offensive linemen will all pretty much redshirt, and, and and that's the uh, that's that's a good thing for Texas. They haven't been able to do that in a while. Um, I, I I don't know how this will go because of because of the way you know they're going to transition him in. I think you got to find a way to get Jaquinta Jackson on the field as a freshman and just kind of see what he can do, whether it be like certain packages and. Uh, or, or something like that, but just you've got to figure out what he is uh, pretty early and see if he can you can make it fit. And if you can make it fit where he can come in and be a package guy, uh, maybe you're like a goal line wildcat type of guy or or something like that. Um, you know, I think you've got to take a shot at that. Uh, other than that, I think on the defensive line, um, 
I think uh, you know, depending on the on on the way health is and everything, you could see Prince Dorva as the guy coming in and be back or situationally, you know, early and just rush of the passer. Uh, let's see, Mike T. Matai wants to know: Are there any potential flip candidates we might pick up, especially from USC or others? I think again that goes back to twenty twenty numbers, and uh, you talked about the Jackson Smith and. Uh, Jigba thing didn't work out with Ohio State. So I, uh, for flips, Mike, I just don't know what's out there. Yeah, there's not a ton out there. I mean, I think if something happened with Auburn and Chris Thompson decided to come off his commitment, I think Texas would revisit that uh, just because they don't really have, like, a true uh, guy that can play Joker um, in this class. Uh, other than that, it, it's really – I mean, it's really bare. I, I know everybody wants, like – to be able to say to cash in on a good season and have so many more names, we're really down to yeah. you know nut cutting time. I mean, we're really down to like the last three or four guys in the class. Yep. It's making for um, you know it's what I'm realizing is for as cool as July was, uh, it's really boring right now. Like it's uh, you know I look around and I'm like, well, there's just not much going on. I mean, in, in recruiting thought, though, in recruiting though, Mike, is you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's preferable to uh, to it being a slow or bad, uh, but it's just I, I, you know I'm kind of talking to this about the same three or four guys every time I call someone, and um, you know I think 21 recruiting has in a sense been put on the back burner to finish out this 2020 class and uh, and you know really dig into the season. So I mean obviously they'll still host 21 guys, but the pushes aren't there as as hard as they were. Mike, we'll, we've got time for a couple more, so I'll, I'll just pick out a, a few here. Mac Ryan 08 wants to know, does the early success of the 2021 class signify a change in the way the staff handles recruiting? That's a good question, something I've been trying to get a handle on. I don't know because I would have to see how they handle 22, um, you know, based on, on how 21 goes. I think that they found themselves in a position with 21 where they had so much success early with so many guys they wanted highly on their board that they decided to move in a different way. I don't think this is the way they're comfortable in operating. I'm sorry. I don't think it's the way they prefer to operate, but I I do think they're comfortable operating that way if they're getting the guys they want. Um, So I I don't know really at this point. I think that um, it's going to depend on – a lot of things can depend on the season. Um, it'll depend on what kind of response they get out of 22. I do know that they like to evaluate guys, and they they would much rather uh, have more thorough evaluations. But at some point, you know, you can't turn down Jalen Milrow and Hayden Connor and yep. uh, Derek Harris and Billy Bowman, Tavian Sanders. Those are guys you can't tell no to at this point when when they want to commit. All right, Mike, last one for this week from South Texas Horn 87. In your opinion, did the Brocker Myers see what they needed to see out of the Texas O-line against LSU? I know you said the O-line performance would have an impact on their decision. So, Mike, that's how we'll close out this week's segment. I know you've had a lot of information on that recruitment. I don't know if you've reached out to the Brocker Myers since that LSU game, but did that have any kind of an impact on them? Yeah, it's, you know, I talked to both the brothers. I talked to uh, Blake uh, for a little bit after the game. You know, Blake wasn't there. He was he had his own game, but right. obviously, uh, you know, he got the recap from him. But, yeah, you know, I think that, that they saw what – look, if you want to say, are they going to compare it to schools like Clemson and Alabama and go head-to-head and say, yes, Texas was as good as those schools, I think they'd be lying to themselves. But, you know, the guys 
have always loved Texas. That's why Texas is in it. Um, they love the visit. Both of them raves about it. I think that Texas is in a fine position there. I think that the the important thing is every time, you know, you introduce just a bit of, of not even bad news, but just other schools or something, people automatically assume that Texas is dropping their position. They're not. I mean, Texas has always probably been in the lead position. But, you know, our goal is to tell the story the whole way around and, and really paint a complete picture. And that's what I've tried to do with, you know, talking about their interest in other schools. And um, it doesn't mean anything bad about Texas. I think Texas has remained in the lead role. I would still feel confident about both my crystal ball picks at this point. Folks, you can find him on Twitter at MikeRoach247. Get all his fine work uh, at Horns247 and the State of Recruiting podcast with Mike and Bobby Burton, wherever you get all of your podcasts. Uh, Mike, where are you guys at on Apple Podcasts? I know you guys were working on that. Yeah, we are up on on iTunes, uh, the State of Recruiting. Um, You can search that out, and we'll have a new episode out this week. There you have it. So if you want more recruiting intel, get it from Mike and Bobby on the State of Recruiting podcast or get it from Mike at Horns 24-7. Horns 24-7 recruiting editor Mike Roach. Mike, thanks a ton, man. We'll do it again next week. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Matt, did you? Uh, big thanks to Mike Roach for joining us there. Did you have a chance to find out what the over is for yes, this game? Yes, it's moving up. It's up to 74 and a half. Goodness, it went up five points? Yeah, it opened, five plus? Where I got wow. it, it's open the, at 70 and a half, and it's up to 74 and a half. You not trust those Big 12 defenses, I guess. Texas, a five-point <laughs> favorite. So, wow. we haven't talked about all the stuff that everybody else is talking about in this series. Mike Gundy's won five in a row in Austin. Oklahoma State's won seven in the last nine. They've won crazy. four in a row. We've seen some bat, you know what, crazy games in this series. Mm-hmm. Officials bumping Charlie Strong and blocked <laughs> extra points and Man. turnovers in yeah. overtime. And we used to see the biggest comebacks in like school history. Yes, yeah. consecutive seasons in a row. Bre- Always a fun game. Brecken <laughs> Hager trying to Greco Roman wrestle somebody in a victory formation <laughs> last year. It's all kinds oh. of stuff. Oh. Is that the one where Tom Herman stomped the field? Yeah. yeah. Never forget yeah, that. Yeah, that little misunderstanding. That's great. Casey Stutter did a front up. flip on a pump block that he blocked against Oklahoma State. <laughs> He'd go, it was back in the day when you could dive over the blockers oh, and right. him and Killebrew go to jump over. They get their legs taken out, and it's Casey Stutter somersaulting and blocking a punt. Rod B, you saved it. A game against Oklahoma State. Yeah, once upon a yeah time almost got career. me one time too. Yeah, I had a game-saving interception against Oak Josh State. Fields, but not the Josh Fields that was traded for Jordan Alvarez. Two different. <laughs> no, the, I the, thought it was Josh Fields. I the other was Josh a, Fields who played baseball. Yeah, yeah, very odd. Yeah, you're right. He did, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, man. Rod, Oklahoma B, State. Rod B locking down Rashawn Woods. Man. Yeah, that was, I got beaten earlier that game for a touchdown. That's why I was upset. Then Vince Young came back with a vengeance, baby. What his brother? 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Donovan Woods, I believe. Oh, you know, yeah. I was in the I was in the stands for that game, Rod. The Oak State. Game. Imagine if we had lost that game. Well, because the, the OU game was the following week, and people were starting to beat OU chants after the game, and there were people in my stage looking around like, "Y'all just watch this game. I don't know if yeah, this team's ready to play Oklahoma." For real, that's exactly right. Yeah, like you <laughs> oh, had man. what forty nine unanswered to end the four game, and then you had. 38 unanswered to end the 05 game. Can you guys game. believe it's been 15 years since that 04 game? That's crazy. It's the 15-year anniversary Makes me feel old. Oh, I'm yeah. real old. It's going to be it's gonna be something Matt, crazy that's going to happen. Matt, is that still, as, as, a, as a fan in the stands, is that still the best Yeah, that was the wildest, craziest game I've ever been to. 49-0 comeback was pretty crazy. Well, that is pretty crazy. It, uh, it could be that wild and that crazy on Saturday. Matt, I'll start with you. Uh you know, you can pick the line, the cover, whatever you want. Uh, how do you see this one going? And I've been looking back and forth at just the defense for Oklahoma State because last year they were the type of team that, it, as expected, not a great defense, but they did some of the things that you want a team to do, like stop Situational. on third down. Yeah. Exactly, and that's the type of stuff that doesn't seem as if they are being successful early on. Now they did, and their offenses looked pretty unstoppable, and that's the main thing. It's going to be one of those Big 12 games, and you, this is where you, you're glad you're at home and you hope you get the ball last, but you just sort of got to trust which quarterback's going to make the plays and not turn the ball over because it may be that one or two possessions that you don't score or say you settle for a field goal or all those boxes that you check. Right now, Dicker's making kicks from wherever he wants. If you settle for a field goal, you probably aren't going to miss it. If you look at turnover ratio, you're probably going to win that. You've been great at it. And right now, somehow, Oklahoma State isn't forcing any. I mean, they've got no fumbles. I think two interceptions, so they've turned over their opponents only twice, and that's against garbage offenses. So you look at right now against Texas, I don't see how they stop Texas, mm-hmm. which is why the over-under is probably right. I think Texas will end up covering, but it'll be scary. It'll be trading shots until yeah. they screw up. Texas has a seven-point lead and then it becomes like a bigger than seven point victory rod b uh, we're headed for a four four and a half hour game aren't we yeah uh because i don't think we're going to be able to stop them uh consistently as matt pointed out they're not going to be able to stop texas and sam and that offense consistently i hate to say it special teams is going to be huge yeah. you talk about a phase of the game where you can have a decisive advantage when Return you don't know game. if you're going to get one of those on defense you basically might your def, your 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 great offense and their great offense might cancel each other out and your defense i don't know if it's going to be great or not you don't have your mvp joseph Asai. they're not a great defense so i think that's going to that mediocrity and average defensive play is going to mm-hmm. cancel each other out and where you do you have a decisive advantage in the third phase of the game that is special teams that is dicker the kicker as your punt game your punt return, your your kickoff return, hidden yardage. I hate to be that guy, but in a game where both teams are probably going to score 30, 35 points, hidden yardage is probably going to be where this game is won, and I trust Texas there. Also, I trust Sam Ellinger. So, yeah, Texas wins 34 to 31. Yeah, I didn't pick a, <laughs> kicker. I didn't pick a kicker. score, but I think it's going to be like I'd say 48 to 37. Ah, okay, there you some, go. But yeah. like in you brought up special teams, it, it's been 87 games since Texas returned to kick for a touchdown, and it was against Okie State in 2012 until that Jamison one. There you go. Yeah, you know, you remember the game two years ago, Rod, where uh, you know Sam Ellinger throws the interception in mm-hmm. overtime that Mike Gundy couldn't stop talking about how Michael Dixon damn near won the game for Texas. Yeah, yeah. Mike Gundy liked Michael Dixon so much, he went to Pro Kick Australia and got himself an Australian punter. Long ball <laughs> that's Dixon, how, baby. That's how much Mike Gundy <laughs> hey, liked Michael Dixon. That's what Michael Dixon will so, do to you. <laughs> in this game, you've got two punters both coming out of that Pro Kick Australia program that they're Nathan Chapman, those guys are just – Crazy, man. They're just producing all for kinds. That's, if you that's wanna, wild. You, 
Sorry, if you're an American high school kid as a punter, you are so screwed right now because nobody's looking at you. Everybody's going to pro kick. Everybody's going over to that Australia. You need, to, you need to go to Australia. <laughs> and, then they, exactly. Australia. <laughs> and then they don't even have like previous American eligibility. So you have all these like literally 30-year-old Australian kickers coming to yeah. play college. Tom Hutton's got, a 29-year-old true freshman for Oklahoma wow. State. Yeah, and then you have what? My, wow. Miami's dude is full tats, all sleeves up. He'd been there for the last two or three years. He looks like he's 40, but he's they say he's like 28 but he had all these grown men coming in and kicking right i'm with you uh you know hidden yardage is going to be big in this game in terms of flipping the field because that one long possession where the offense has to drive it maybe that's where you force a turnover mm-hmm. and get him in a bad spot um i'm i'm going to take texas because i just think sam ellinger's got to win one of these quarterback duels at some point like he's played too well not to have more of those pelts on the wall yep. so to say and like there's been mullet? so many things we in this series that have that gone though. weird for Texas that I just think the law of averages says at some point it's got a tip in their favor. I agree. And you know they're a good team. You know you can tell they're a good team and they're much better. They're improved than last year, but yeah. I don't I don't have a score in my mind yet, but I know I'm taking the over and I know I'm taking Texas. There you go. Yeah, if, love- if, te- if Texas wants to be back, this is you gotta win this game. If Texas don't beat Oklahoma State, you ain't For back. Sure. Sorry. Like you, you can't say you back. This is a and season. Then you lose to Oklahoma State. Because you haven't even got to OU yet. That's like, what I'm saying. Like, you can't, if you can't beat Oklahoma's little brother, then you can't you can't worry about beating Oklahoma and you ain't back. Yeah, you may beat Oklahoma, that's great, because it's a rivalry, but Texas ain't back to Texas is back to beating Oak State. We all know that's true. Yeah, yeah. got to own them, not have them beat you seven of the last nine. And exactly. Jeff, I love that you brought up pelt because you never bring up that word, but it would be nice to take Gundy's pelt after this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you got that mullet. It's like if you it'd could be just, great if our fans got mullet wigs and everybody started wearing I'm mullets. I'm growing out one almost. <laughs> I don't know, Ryan. It's going to be in the upper 90s at kickoff, man. I don't know if anybody's going to be wearing wigs in the stands at DKR on Saturday. Uh, well, gentlemen, we'll uh, we'll see how this shootout progresses. I'm not planning on leaving the press box till about two a.m. because it's gonna be oh yeah, it's gonna be one of those games. It's gonna be a long one. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You are more than welcome, bro. Rod. We appreciate the time and the knowledge, sir. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM twelve sixty streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Where you can hear Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from one to three. Shameless plug. You can also hear Longhorn Blitz Tuesday nights at seven o'clock. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, classic shows, classic interviews on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz for the Horn family, for the Horns twenty four seven family. I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.